<laughs> I think it must be, it's almost like the light bulb approach. If you try 5,000 times and have to launder your gas, you might like get one lucky shot, which you can start exploiting over and over again. Dear all the laundry listeners, we are back in the studio and today we are going to look at not only AML, but also how it fits together with fraud and cyber. This is an episode that explores where the synergies are and what it means. And with me today, I have both Magnus and Frederick. Welcome back, everyone. Thank you. Thank you very much. Magnus, let's just kick it off. Why is it so important that we talk about integration of fraud, financial crime and cyber? I think there's many reasons, right? But I think the one key reasons that we see is that many of the largest attacks really have been made possible by criminals leveraging both the fraud, AML, and cyberspace. And and you probably heard about the Kubernetes attack, right? Who is like the biggest one. And I just want to shoot in for those of you who haven't heard about this attack. It was actually an organized attack on multiple banks. I believe over 40 different banks over a time span of five years, where the criminals leveraged the fact that banks historically have been very siloed in their risk management units. And in that way, they were able to leverage malware that could infiltrate the bank and also, you know, sneak, uh, go through the hoops and go undetected. Yeah, I, th- I think it's exactly that that really illustrates the point of why these financial crime units should be integrated. And I think it's no longer the case that is only the most complex and most knowledgeable criminals that may, might be in organized crime units that really perform these types of cross-cutting, cross-cutting incidents or cross-cutting heists, right? So as long as the cyber knowledge increases among, let's say, the general fraudster, this is becoming increasingly more important for banks to really close these gaps that that attack actually showed us how critical it is to collaborate within a bank. Hi, it's Marit from Strice. I wanted to let you know that we are hiring and we are looking for an account manager to come and join our commercial team. You'll be working closely with our brilliant customers, so probably many of you who are listening to The Laundry today. So check out strice.ai slash careers or get in touch with Mike, our head of sales at mike at strice.ai for more information. Looking forward to hearing from you. Yeah, because the Karbanak attack was kind of exceptional because it was criminal, like organized criminals and over a time span of five years. And they were actually able to withdraw over a billion dollars in cash. But what you're saying now is that this knowledge, it's not only for the big organized criminals that has a lot of resources, but that knowledge is becoming more and more available for, you know, the everyday fraudsters. Is that right, Magnus? Yeah, absolutely. Of course, this example of the of the of the five year heist, right? This is very it's unique. But but for instance, they actually managed to transfer funds into ATMs that automatically withdraw those account that that cash into waiting waiting criminals, right? So it just almost taken straight from movie. I even think it became a movie, which which explains a lot. But I think the really crucial element that this attack showed was that the historically, let's say, in-point controls that are focused on a specific type of incidents in a specific channel of the bank is no longer enough to stop coordinated attacks. And that shows these gaps, how big they actually can be if not addressed. 
So it's important to break down the silos. Yeah, I, th- I think so. There's the, you can say that there's two elements. So, so one is breaking down the silos, which basically means that the financial crimes units must be much more closer together and much more, much more aligned in terms of how they perform and what they control. So it's not only enough to control for AML, you also have to control this against fraud risk and cyber risk. And then the other thing is, that, of course, that the design, let's say the control design today, where you maybe have a rule or a system or some glitch that you try to avoid, that's not really enough. You also need to look at this like historically and also forward-looking in terms of where would these money go next, right? Which is really this carbon attack really showed us. So that that's for me, like that's why you need to think about integration and not only having different, let's say, risks treated very differently. So Frederick, you've also been out in a lot of banks and seen how they operate. Have you observed any sort of silos that you think poses a like a big risk? Yeah, no, definitely. I've I've absolutely watched a few. I think one of the most comical slash tragical ones was uh, was a bank where where they kept kicking out the same client over and over again, but the client just kept applying for for the same to the same bank and accepted over and over again as well. And that was because the the system and the team responsible for disqualifying and kicking this client out was not at all speaking to the system and the team approving and doing the onboarding. And it's interesting because luckily I feel like that that sort of level of scrutiny, no, not scrutiny, but that level of a system failure is a bit of the past, but it's definitely a long way to go still on, on that aspect. <laughs> I think it must be, it's almost like the light bulb approach. If you try 5,000 times on how to launder your cash, you might like get one lucky shot, which you can start exploiting over and over again. Of course, it's very easy to say like that. That's funny, right? But I think if a criminal can re-enter, reapply, re-leverage, or being kicked out one place in the bank and then become a corporate customer and then go away again and become a personal customer, all of these things really, it's all about like, do I really have a 360 coverage of where my clients are at any given time? So that was one example of a process gone horribly wrong or cross-team collaboration and gone horribly wrong. But uh, do you have any examples of where it's gone well or a stellar example of a good cross-team collaboration? Well, there's, there's plenty of examples, but luckily, like this as a problem is luckily no longer the case in most places. Like, the point Magnus is making, from a single channel focus, it's certainly still a problem. But from a technology perspective, it really shouldn't be. If you look at marketing and sales systems as an example, it's not long since these were separated units in a company. But sales and marketing these days, they work together just fine. And they need the same data because they work together towards the common goal as well. So as an example, if you ever join a webinar and a few days later you got a phone from a sales rep, that's because the marketing team viewing the webinar, they know that there's intent that they then communicate to the sales team and the sales team actions that, that intent for great timing and opportunity. Because as it is with sales, it's all about intent, timing and opportunity. And if you look at fraud or AML as well, it's all about intent, timing and opportunity. So there's just so many places within the organization where you can where you can look and see how did they do it back then in terms of just operationalizing getting system support that's not single channel one point but that works across different departments that has the same goal in mind which obviously AML cyber and fraud has as well 
What's your comment to that, Magnus? Think yeah. it's a good analogy to use, uh, like how se- like sales and marketing and towards fraud, cyber, AML. It is kind yeah. of good, actually. Yeah, absolutely right. I think you have the you, you want to understand your customers in both places. One is like how do I understand it from a from a f- criminal point of view, right? But also how do I understand the customer for to sell more and and get them more engaged in my products. But but I think. Like if you take that knowledge, right? Then we say, okay, we have sales and marketing and we have email fraud, but but what is the common what is the, the denominator that, that like what is common between cyber fraud and AML then, right? And and for me I would say three things, right? It's the identification part, like who's my customer, it's the monitoring part, like the transactions type of things, and then it's also the reaction, right? Or the response to this. And and these three things, like that that's what make it common. That's why it makes it integrate and make possible to integrate. So how do you integrate it? Because banks have a lot of systems, a lot of legacy systems. It's, you know, heavily regulated. So it's not that easy to just rip something out and replace it with something else. How would you actually go about doing it? Yeah, so so for me, I'm very happy that I can talk about it here instead of actually doing it afterwards, right? But but taking it a bit from a like feasibility perspective, right? So starting with the first one, identification, right? It's all about like, okay, who is my customer? From a financial crime perspective, you want to do your client risk rating, you want to do your due diligence on that customer, right? You have very clear things that you must do to identify and understand it. But but the same is for fraud, right? You want to verify their identity, both like digital and non-digital. And then for cyber, you want to make sure that both that the credential they use are used at the right place and at the right time and by the right person. And it's all really about identification, which I think you, Frederick, also have seen in in terms of the platform you are backing, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. And getting getting just a granular exposure of data to to make sure that you have the proper identification is is obviously a time-consuming task in and of itself. It's not enough with a client sending over some credentials, you actually need to verify this. So it's a time-consuming task, but luckily like there's a lot of system support to really help out with all three aspects of this that could be used, as you mentioned, like with fraud, AML, as well as cyber at, at these days. Yeah, and then, and then you can say, okay, what would an integrative solution look like, right? It would basically be that you have risk scoring, which is much more rich using both the cyber fraud and financial crime perspectives that gives you one single risk scoring of that customer used across these divisions or teams right but that's easy for us to sit here and talk about and but actually taking all this data which is in various different formats combining it making use of it it does require forward-looking systems or systems that are inherently built on AI. You can't necessarily expect this from a legacy system that was built on a database architecture many years ago. So this also requires like willingness to invest in like new technology and taking that risk. Yeah, and also it's the willing to actually do the integration, right? Because you can choose to, you can choose multiple different, let's say, operating model all the way from being completely decentralized and siloed, right? To the, through being, let's say, partial integrator or, or collaboration, right? Like same risk assessment process, same taxonomy, etc. But then also you can choose to be fully centralized where you have the same framework, the same assets, you assess it in the same way, but that's really where the banks are deciding, okay, should we take that big step today or should we maintain on collaboration? That's the most of the topics. 
And it's interesting because from a compliance perspective, like they they need to fill out different types of compliance checklists depart, depending on which department they're actually uh, situated in. So as an example for a KYC checklist, it would be different than from a cyber security threat list, a checklist, I mean. So this means if you have a centralized one, then you probably end up doing a lot of checks that you don't necessarily need to do for your specific compliance uh, compliance checkpoints. Yeah, of course. But I think there's like simpler things that you can do as well, right? So so integration is not only about like, say, the systems and everything, but it's also about like the terminology we use, the risk we assess, the appetite we have for those risks, and also how we, we, we perform the risk assessment on those risks, right? Every, all of these things can be aligned, let's say, from a supporting mechanism perspective. But then, of course, if you want to make this into, let's say, a tool or have it like all the perspectives in say stored in one place, then of course it becomes difficult. But integration doesn't have to be so complex if you just start on the actual enablers you have, like say the risk taxonomy, for instance. Mm. And I think so. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just I was I was supposed to move into transactions now, right? But but I think we can we can do the same breakdown for transactions and response as well. And and the question mm-hmm. will always be like how far should we pull the let's say push for central management of financial crime. So when you talk about, you know, if we go for the fully integrated approach, the first step is not necessarily to start in the end of like technical integrations, but start in just let's make sure we all talk the same language here. Make sure we yeah. agree on the vocabulary across departments. That would be Absolutely. like an easy first step. Absolutely. I, th- I think you need to think about this as, as, a, as a change project. So, so first you need to define like, what do I want my target operating model to be? Or you need to choose like, which archetype should I go with? Like, that's really like, should I collaborate? Should I not collaborate and be, and be siloed? Or should I actually be fully integrated? Right? That's the first, let's say, design decision. And but then I guess, the next uh, have you seen anyone that goes for the non-integrated approach? I guess the natural like decision that banks or financial institutions needs to make, it's just from like fully integrated to somewhat integrated. Like you wouldn't go from the iso- the siloed approach because the attacks as we've seen, they show that it's a lot of loopholes that the criminals yeah. can get through. So you wouldn't go that way, right? Uh, no, that, that that that's of course true, right? But but if you look internationally, most banks are at the stage of partial integration. But if you look let, look locally, let's say in Norway, uh, the regulators are are formally like recognizing or mostly trained to look at the silo approach. So so it's also about pushing the needle in terms of what is allowed and what is expected from from regulators. And then of course, from the bank's perspective, the efficiency gains will be uh, will be huge from from doing the centralization. But it's also mm-hmm. about the comfort and, and the way of working, which is very cha- is also about the culture part, right? The way we work, the organization. Do you think it's the same? Like the Nordic regulators' approach is different from like the rest of Europe? I don't think it's different per se, but I think I think the experience of regulators, let's say in the US or in the UK, and the resources they have available to be to take on the supervisory role is very different than the Nordics, right? But but at the same time, let's say Sweden. I think they're quite advanced and, and quite ahead, right? Because they've had a lot of, let's say, training recently, <laughs> put it like that. But, but that's not the case, let's say, in Norway. But uh, this is not meant criticism, right? For the no, regulators. No, no. We talked about education, right? And we see that there's potential for integration because of the similarities. And we know it's challenging, right? But I think the same is for transactions because in transactions, you have, you have the payment screening, you have the transaction monitoring, right? And you have the name screening, which ties back to the identity. 
But then you also have for fraud, you also have transaction monitoring. You have fraud analytics and engines that looks for fraud, right? And then for cyber, you also have similar, right? Because you have the SOC that you have to do. You have the you have everything like how does this uh, monitoring solutions actually work, and how safe are them, uh, and how good are these controls? And, and all of these things can be tied together to let's say the risk assessment of the specific transaction. So that's mm-hmm. also like one element of integration, right? I'm not sure what you think about that, but that's my perspective. This is a huge area. Mm. There's a lot of systems running in parallel, huge integrations that are being maintained, big budgets, but uh, yeah, running parallel, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Frederick, I think we, me and you once discussed that it's like the legacy issues are enormous in this space, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. It's It just seems like the cost of, of making sure that everything gets rebuilt from scratch is just way too big for somebody to bear at, at this moment. But I do think, like, luckily with modern-day third-party su- support systems, that's actually designed and built with that in mind. They're able to tie these together, like, basically layering on top, making sure that all systems speak together to get a, a common end goal, a common end result for everyone. Yeah, but I also want to take like the, the perspective of it's not that difficult to start, but it's very difficult to finish because there's so much you can do. But, but so mm. if you take the, the easiest level of integration here would be that you, you allow transparency on what is being, what, what is the fraud incidents with, let's say, the transaction monitoring analytics team or those that are calibrating models, right? To have that cross sharing of information. Like that's really the first step. And then also organizationally, like how can you foster a collaboration between these teams like basically on terms of experience all the legacy issues like how did fraud solve it compared to transaction monitoring because the cool thing about the fraud engines right is that they don't have the same regulatory mm. scrutiny from expectations and stuff like that so they can explore much more be much more creative create all the cool stuff right while the transaction monitoring team spend just as much as time proofing and showing that their models work right so there's a lot of like also system like considerations here from that point of view. Yeah, ver- yeah very true. soon we're going to make a special episode on uh, the the use of AI in these oh, wow. type of technologies okay. as well and understand why it's not really straightforward and what's the problem with black box technology within AML. Yeah, I think this is the area where I've gotten the most like in the trenches story, you know, transaction monitoring. But let's see what we are able to get on record because that is a different that's yeah, a different I, thing than hearing it. But then I think like this all the transaction all of the transaction also ties back to let's say the, the response, right? So so I think it's not only connected by risk type, it's also connected from uh, from a value chain perspective. But but if you take financial crime in terms of response, you have the SAR. You have the decision to do not bank with certain customers, right? You have all these elements. And then on fraud, you have the investigation and resolution teams for a fraud incident. And and even though this might seem different, but the, the value from an, or in, insight from an investigation and resolution team in fraud can leverage the insight from SARS and the do not bank decisions. And then, of course, you can also then have the forensic teams that does on, in, in cyber can also leverage that information on where the cyber breaches were were mostly affected, let's say, from their bank perspective. So, have you so ever experienced? So, sorry, uh, just just jumping in with one sort of important perspective on on this one or an important question. Have you seen uh, any sort of scrutiny slash problems with data sharing on this between different departments? Like, uh, as an example, some workers in bank they can't see if people are under investigation 
or yep. if it's enhanced due diligence. So have you seen some some examples of this limiting the amount of sharing that they can do? Yeah, I think, so if you look at the banks, right, there's like this, this notion that uh, a person that are under investigation for money laundering should not know that that person is under investigation of money laundering, right? But this does not inhibit, let's say, a common analytical uh, analytics team. Let's say you have a shared analytics team or a center of excellence data center, whatever they, they call it, right? To leverage insights from previously closed cases or SAR cases that already been investigated by the bank to the to the FIU units. And uh, so, so for me, data sharing should not be used as an excuse because you're going to work around it. Mm. Interesting. That's my personal perspective, of course. So we've talked a lot about different things, but if we were to give, if someone then chooses to go for an integration, inter- integration of cyber, AML, fraud, and are currently in the siloed version, what are the sort of top three tips we would give them to get started? Easy, low, the lowest hanging fruits, very tangible. Like, what could you do already today? Yeah, maybe what would I your can, tips I, be, Magnus? Yeah, so my three tips for that would be to to kickstart your integration. One, align the frameworks and risk assessment, uh, risk taxonomy that you use to have the same understanding of the risk exposure and which risk I have. Secondly, I would start. Um, creating forums and foster collaboration between fraud and AML, right? And then three, I would increase the cyber knowledge within the analytics team that only works with models to ensure that you actually start to capture the extent of the cyber insight and cyber, let's say, forensic results that the bank has. That's like the three low-hanging fruit, but the one, first one is really the most important one, the frameworks. Yeah, and this can be done without, like, you don't have to code to start doing this. You don't have to start an IT project. This is all about just aligning your people on the same sort of, yeah, on the same level. Right, it's literally taking the risk taxonomies of fraud, AML, and cyber, putting it in Excel, and remove duplicates, and see if you need Mm. all the risks that are left, right? To put it that easy, right? So basically mapping mapping out data points that you acquire in each process, Removing duplicates, go from three systems to two systems, from two systems to one system. Maybe create a task force as well within the banks that's cross-department to make sure they have the overarching responsibility and overview of the project and get started. Yes, and then once you have an aligned, let's say, you have 25 risk types that I'm, that I'm supposed to look at, you need to align the risk appetite between fraud, AML, and cyber, right? So that everyone knows where does my appetite stop and start. And then once you have that, right, you do. <laughs> so we can talk about like really operational specific stuff here. But I think that the, the key message is that you can start with the easy things and then you need to put in the backlog of all the IT stuff that will come with it. But that's not really what blockages you. It's what, it's what keeps you from finishing. Mm. And also we talked, you know, again, back to this cyber attack that was able to exploit like loopholes in between the different departments. If we were today to highlight some of these loopholes, are there any ones that we should like shed a light on so people can already now start to avoid them? Do we, do we have any? I think I would say that the first loophole you might see is that the controls that are meant to block transactions 
are different between the detective engine in fraud compared to the transaction monitoring engine in, in transaction monitoring. So these rules and scenarios should be closely linked together, even through alerting each other or through having alerts being shared and treated by the same teams. Right, that's, that, that's a very common loophole. Uh, and then the second loophole is if you have, let's say, 20 transaction monitoring scenarios and all your alarms are triggered from only two of them, that means that your scenarios are mostly even like the, those that catching everything is too broadly defined and those that catches nothing are too narrowly defined. So you need to think about basically if there are specific enough to capture the transactions to avoid that one very broad one catches everything. That's a very typical loophole because then it's very easy to get around this thing. So if we were to summarize today's episode, it's basically that there's a lot of loopholes in the intersection between AML, fraud, and cyber that needs to be closed up. And doing that, like fully integrated, is a long strategic project, requires technical resources, requires organizational change. And the most low-hanging fruit is actually just to start by aligning your entire organization on the risk taxonomy across these three different departments. Fully agree, absolutely. It would be super interesting to have a guest in the studio at one point that have actually started with this and can tell us about the how, how easy it actually was and how they actually did it. But that's for another time. Let's get them in the studio and make them talk about their success stories so that everyone else can copy them. Yes, uh, more success <laughs> stories. Uh, <laughs> thanks everyone for listening to this week's episode. We hope everyone learned something about how to tie these three departments together and looking forward to next time. Thanks guys. Thank you. Your money make a world go round. 